I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 19. Genesis 19. Uh, one of the advantages of preaching through books of the Bible, which is what I normally do, is that it requires me to go to the next chapter and the next verse in that particular book of the Bible, and I can't just skip over topics that are controversial or difficult and only preach on the topics I want to talk about, since this is where we are in our study of Genesis. We must be faithful to preach what is before us here. So if you have your Bibles opened, I invite you to follow along with me as I read, beginning in Genesis 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both the young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded this house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man Lot, and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves, wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the man said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against this people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him 
and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to. And it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. And the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back as she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he had looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. May God bless the reading of his word. There's a lot to cover here, but before we get to our our text, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11, just going to act as a, a springboard for our text this morning. Uh, several years ago at a Village Missions staff conference, the speaker that year gave a series of talks on Romans 12 verses 1 to 2, but he prefaced those talks by looking first at Romans chapter 11 verse 22. In light of everything that the Apostle Paul had written up to this point about the unbelief of Israel and the salvation of the Gentiles, Paul writes in Romans 11 verse 22, note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. So as we look now at the rescue of Lot and the destruction of Sodom, may we note the kindness and the severity of God. Look back at verse 1 of our text. Uh, the Lord has just finished his exchange with Abraham. 
Abraham has gone back to his tent and the two angels have now come to Sodom in the evening. And notice the, the similarities between what we saw in Genesis 18 and what we see here in these opening verses. Uh, just as Abraham was sitting at the door of his tent, the place of residence, uh, when the Lord appeared to him in the form of three men, here we read that Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom, his place of residence, when the two angels appeared to him. And just as Abraham rose to meet them and bowed himself to the earth, here we read that Lot rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And just as Abraham said to them, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, here we read that Lot said to them, spend the night and wash your feet. And just as Abraham prepared a lavish meal for them, here we read that Lot in his hospitality as well, made them a feast. And so we see that there are uh, some similarities here between Lot and Abraham. But then there are distinct differences between them. One of the main differences being that Abraham is outside Sodom and Lot is inside Sodom. Back in Genesis chapter 13, you may remember when, when Lot and Abraham, they went their separate ways, we saw that Lot chose the land of Sodom. Even though the men of Sodom were, were wicked, great sinners against the Lord, Genesis 13 verse 13 says, Lot settled there and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Then in Genesis 14 verse 12, Lot is described as dwelling in Sodom. And now Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom, which indicates that he had some kind of level of influence in the city. He, was, he had a sense of prominence in the city. In fact, in, in verse 7, Lot calls the men of Sodom his brothers. And his daughters are even pledged to be married to men of Sodom. So clearly, Lot has settled down in the wicked city of Sodom. But it didn't happen overnight, did it? No, it, it happened over the course of several years. And this reveals to us the alluring nature of sin. That's the first thing we should notice, the, the alluring nature of sin. And it, it should it begs the question, in what areas of our lives, in what areas of my life, have we moved closer and closer to Sodom? To use myself as an example, uh, I didn't become a rebellious teenager overnight. It, it might have seemed like that to my parents, but in reality, sin slowly but surely lured me in right at first uh, I, I pitched my tent close to Sodom and then I uh, began to dwell in Sodom until all at once I was sitting in Sodom's gate and and what seemed to me like like a second was actually the course of uh, a couple of years of being held in sin's dread sway right and so we we must not underestimate the alluring nature of of sin. It's, it's why 
Job says in Job 31, verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Right? Because Job recognizes that a prolonged look, a lustful glance at another woman who is not his wife is would be him moving closer and closer to Sodom. It's, it's the alluring nature of sin that draws us in and keeps us in its grip. How steeped Lot was in the wickedness of Sodom is seen in how difficult it is to get him and his family out of the city. And so we need to pray that, that God would rescue us out of Sodom before it's too late. We need to pray that God would rescue us before we get to the point where we don't want to leave our sin because we're quite comfortable in our sin and and where God will simply give us over to our sin until we're lost. And there's no hope. And we pray this because only God can rescue us from our sin. Only God can rescue us from us. It's the alluring nature of sin, but God can rescue us from it. Lot invites the two angels to spend the night in his house, but in a shocking turn of events, they say to him, no. We're going to spend the night in the town square. Now, Lot knows something about the men of Sodom. He he knows what they're like. And he knows that it's not a good idea for them to spend the night in the town square alone. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 20, the Lord had said to Abraham that the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. Lot knows this. He's not blinded to this. And so verse 3 says, A lot pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And it's here where we see what that outcry was prompted by. Look at verse 4. But Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last men surrounded the house. Now, one of the reasons why the description of the male population here is so comprehensive is because of how Abraham had interceded on behalf of Sodom back in Genesis chapter 18. You remember how Abraham had Ask God to, to save the city for the sake of 50 righteous persons, and then 45 righteous persons, and then 40, and then 30, and 20, and all the way down to 10 righteous persons. But, but we're, we're finding here in how comprehensive the description is that there is not even 10 righteous persons in the city. The, the extent of Sodom's Wickedness is seen in the fact that all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And there was a caution here for us. 
You know, just because the culture says that something is right doesn't make it right. Right? The, the men of Sodom, they, they may not have seen anything wrong with what they were doing. They, they may have thought that what they were doing was totally normal. It may have been so embedded in the culture that it was just, it was something that you did. You know, like the, the Irish, they, they go somewhere and then they go to the pub. You know, it's just, it's just what you do when you're, when you're there. When in Rome, you do what Rome does. But it doesn't make it right. And you see, we are all being shaped by the world around us. We are shaped by what we watch on television. We are shaped by what we read on the internet. We're shaped by what our friends and our families say. We're shaped by what we're taught in school. We are all being shaped by something. Now, now none of these things are inherently bad. But the danger comes when the culture informs our beliefs rather than Scripture. So that we embrace what the culture affirms rather than what Scripture outrightly condemns. We have a, a perfect example here in Sodom of Romans 1 verse 28 where they did not see fit to acknowledge God and where God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And so the danger is that if we are not being informed by God's word, if we are taking our cues on issues of marriage and sexuality, and gender, and personhood, and, and all these, these issues of morality, if we're taking our cues on all of these issues from the culture and not from the word of God, then God will give us over to a debased mind. And what we need to do is we need to, we need to pray, God, shape me by your word. Don't, don't give me over to what is popular or trendy. Keep me rooted in the truth of your word. As we are looking in John 17, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. And give us boldness, pray. Give me boldness to stand firm in what you have said is right. Or what you have said is wrong. Help me to, to know the difference and stand firm in doing what is right. You know, the culture may go this way, but as for me and my house, right, Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Pray that. And you're, you're bound to face opposition. But then at the same time, you, your feet will be firmly planted on the rock, right? Rock of ages, cleft for me, right? That's what is going to be sure for you. What, what, what do the men of Sodom want to do with these visitors? 
That's the, that's the next question. Look at verse 5. The men call out to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Now, this, isn't, this, this is not saying that they wanted to become better acquainted. And we just want to shoot the breeze with these guys. No. No, this is the Bible's way of saying that the men who had surrounded Lot's house, all of them desired to have sex with Lot's guests. Now, so far in Genesis, we've seen how God created mankind, male and female. We've seen how uh, the man would uh, leave his father and his mother and and hold fast to his wife. We've seen how uh, Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and and bore a son. We we saw that all in in the first few chapters of, of Genesis which indicates to us that the Lord has made it clear that this is the way things should be, right? This is, this is how all things have been ordered. So, so this action from the, the men of Sodom goes against God's good design for human flourishing, right? It, it flies in the face of everything God has instituted for mankind, In the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 1, they have exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. They have have exchanged natural relations for unnatural relations. And Jude verse 7, it it takes it even, even a step further, makes it clear that Sodom and Gomorrah had an appetite, a desire for sexual sin. It says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And so what what Jude is saying is that the whole region was well known for its sexual sin. Now, is this the only sin in Sodom? No. No, as we saw last week, they also sinned uh, in a way that we would call socially. Right? In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, we read that Sodom had pride, excess of food, and, and pros- prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. Right, so they, they didn't care for one another. They cared only for themselves. There, there was no sense of social justice. It was just, how, what can I do to benefit myself? How can I live life to have the maximum amount of pleasure for me? That, that's, that's essentially what, what we're seeing here. And they wanted to do harm to these visitors who had come to the city and who had come under Lot's protection. They cared only for themselves and not for others. But before we come down too hard on the wickedness of Sodom, and and don't get me wrong, the inhabitants of Sodom are acting 
gravely, wickedly here, we need to look into the mirror of God's word and we need to examine our hearts and see if there is any wicked way in us. In what ways do I take the good things that God has given, whether it's food or sex or, or whatever it might be, and use said things for my own gratification? And in what ways do, do I look to my own interests and not to the interests of others, which is contrary to, to the example of Christ that we see in, in Philippians chapter 2. Right, so th- what we realize quickly is that this isn't just a problem in Sodom. This is a problem in Boyle. And what we need to do is we need to, to evaluate where we fall short and how desperately we need the grace of God. Right? If we read this text and we think, oh, that's, a, that's an out there problem and not an in here problem, we, we've missed the point of the text. And how desperately we need the grace of God in our lives. We continue on in verse, verse 6. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. Now, commentators will, will say that, you know, because, because his daughters were already pledged to be married, the men of, of Sodom would have known that they couldn't do anything to, to the women because they, already, they were already spoken for. And thus, you know, Lot's essentially putting his daughters out and knows that they're not, they're not going to call his bluff. But with two daughters of my own, I cannot imagine the wickedness of even thinking of such a possibility. But it is an ironic contrast that we see in our text here to the, to the men of Sodom. Because what... What we're seeing here is Lot interceding on behalf of the angels who have come to him. Here we see a contrast to the men of Sodom where righteous Lot stood. Now, now I say righteous not, not because of what we see here, because what we see here makes it look like he's very, very unrighteous. But I say this on the basis of what we see elsewhere in Scripture. So if you, if you turn over to Second uh, Peter chapter 2, you don't have to necessarily turn, turn there. I'm, I'm going to read it anyway. But in Second Peter chapter 2, verses 6 to 9, the Apostle Peter writes, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, God condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for 
as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Now you'll notice that Peter calls Lot righteous three times. You know, just in case we miss it the first time, he says it a couple more times. And he describes Lot as being greatly distressed. Literally, he was worn down by the filthy lives of the people of Sodom and was continually tortured in his righteous soul. That's what Peter writes. Now, we may be reading this and we may be going, I don't see that in this text. Where, where do we see him being worn down? Well, certainly, there's, there's no excuse for what Lot does here. Lot is, is acting as, as wickedly as the inhabitants of Sodom. But what we have to realize is that righteous does not mean perfect. Because if righteous did mean perfect, we would all be in a lot of trouble. And so would the other individuals in Scripture that we've seen thus far. For example, Noah. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says, became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Abraham, Genesis 15, verse 6, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Yet, what do we know about these, these men? They were both flawed, right? Uh, Noah's drunkenness and then Abraham's failures in Egypt and, and his failure with, with Hagar, in the same way, Lot, he's gotten to the point where he's sitting in the gate of, of Sodom. He calls the men of Sodom his brothers, which indicates that, that he identifies with them in some way. He offers his daughters to the men of Sodom in hope that they will leave his guests alone, thus placing the, the sanctity of hospitality above the sanctity of his own family, as one commentator put it. And then later, while in a drunken stupor of his own, Lot will fall into Sodom-like sin. Right, so Lot is clearly allured by Sodom. He's clearly attracted to the prosperity and the, the comfort and the prestige of Sodom. And yet, at the same time, it seems as though he is offended by Sodom. He is troubled by the sin he sees around him every day. And so in reality, though we might rail on Lot, we might find that we are a lot like Lot. We may be more like Lot than we care to admit. You know, we, we may be troubled by the sin we see around us every day, but, but then we respond by sinning ourselves, even in the same ways. And we justify ourselves. But then we are also like Lot in the sense that we are righteous like Lot. And that's good news, right? You might ask, well, well, how is law considered righteous? The answer is the same way we are considered righteous. By the grace of God, through faith in God's promises. Like Lot, we are declared righteous, not because of anything we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. You see, it's the audaciousness of the gospel that Peter can call a man with, with so many obvious flaws, righteous lot. 
And, and in the same way, it's the audaciousness of the gospel that if we are in Christ, God rescues us with all of our obvious flaws. And he calls us righteous by faith. Now, you know, it doesn't necessarily make what law does here right, but it helps to put things into perspective. So that our righteousness only comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. Now, the, the men of Sodom, they don't, they don't take Lot's wicked proposal of his two daughters. Look at verse 9. They, they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge. Now we'll deal worse with you than with them. So they, they decide to use Lot in the way that Lot was suggesting they use his daughters. So it's not going to end up well for, for Lot. But then as they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down, it says that the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. So we're beginning to see the kindness of God in our text. There, there are similarities between what we're seeing here and what we saw back in Genesis chapter 6. If you remember in Genesis chapter 6, uh, we saw how the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and how they took as their wives any they chose. And how the Nephilim rose up, the mighty men who were of old, and the men of renown. And so we see that there, there, there was this sexual perversion and this violence taking place in Genesis chapter 6 is similar to what we have here, sexual perversion and violence taking place here in our text in Genesis 19. But there in Genesis 6, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then what happens in Genesis 7 verse 16? Noah and all his family, they entered into the ark and the Lord shut them in. It's the same Hebrew word used here in Genesis chapter 19, verse 10, where it says that the Lord shut the door. And I don't think that's a coincidence. That's intentional. Showing that like Noah, Lot is experiencing the salvation of the Lord. Look at verse 11. They, they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. And the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone in the city? Bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Which is similar to what God says to, to Noah in Genesis 6, verse 13. I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And like Noah, Lot takes seriously the command of the Lord and responds in faith. Verse 14 says that Lot went to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters and who were likely involved with the other men in wanting to have sex with these, these visitors that had come to Lot. Because it says that all the men surrounded the city. And he says to them, up, get out of the place. For the Lord is about to destroy the city. And they think that he's joking. 
Now, there, there has been much laughter over the past couple of chapters of Genesis, right? With, with Abraham laughing and Sarah laughing and, and God promising to, to give Sarah a son whose name means laughter. It's what Isaac means is laughter. But here, Lot's sons-in-law, they laugh at what Lot is saying. It says that they, he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. But this isn't a joke. This isn't a joke. And, and, and as we talk with the unbelieving world around us about the return of Christ and how the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in, on it will be exposed. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. When we tell the unbelieving world this news, the judgment to come, they, they may laugh at what we're saying. But we must continue to be faithful. We must continue to share the gospel. We must continue to warn them of the judgment to come. That's what Lot does. Look at verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Which is the same language that, that Abraham used back in Genesis chapter 18. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it. But then it says that he lingered. He lingered. Now we're not, we're not told why he lingered. But in verse 16, it says that the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand and the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So, so these, these two visitors who represent the Lord take hold of Lot and his family and they physically carry him outside of the city. Why? Because the Lord is being merciful to him. Lot is totally undeserving of such mercy. Totally undeserving. He deserves the judgment of the Lord that is coming upon Sodom, just like the inhabitants of Sodom. But... Lot doesn't receive the judgment he deserves. Instead, he receives mercy. And the same is true for us. We are totally deserving of the wrath of God that is coming on account of our sin against the holy God. We are. We are totally deserving of the wrath of God. But for those who have, by faith, turned to Christ for salvation, the Lord is merciful. He is merciful. We, we don't get the punishment for sin we deserve because it has already been paid for on the cross. Jesus Christ satisfied the wrath of God against us on account of our sin so that we are no longer vessels of wrath, but that we would become vessels of mercy. Romans 9 verses 22 to 23 says, So praise God for his mercy. Not that we don't get what we deserve. Look at verse 17. One of the angels says to Lot, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. But do you know what goes through Lot's mind as the angel says this? Do I have to completely leave the region? Right? Can't I just dwell in this little city over here? Isn't it, isn't it a little one? 
You know, the place is about to be destroyed because of its wickedness. And Lot still wants a place in this land. He still wants a part of it. But the angel says, fine, fine. You, you can dwell in Zoar. Just go there now. And, and once you're there, we'll destroy the rest. All right, so verse 23, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. And the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. So just as the Lord caused rain to come down from heaven in the flood, here the Lord rained down sulfur and fire from heaven on Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 25, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. Right, so just like we saw with the flood narrative, this is a kind of decreation where even what grew on the ground was, was destroyed. Verse 26, but Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Again, we don't know why she looked back. Maybe she was like Demas in, in 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, who was in love with this present world. You know, maybe she didn't take seriously the Lord's warning. Oh, God wouldn't possibly, couldn't possibly do that. Just like Lot's sons-in-law. Whatever the case, it should cause us to reflect on our own hearts again and see if there was a little bit of Lot's wife in us, right? Do we take seriously that what God has said he will do? Are we at love with the things in this world? Do, do we identify with the city of man that is leading to destruction? Or do we identify with the city of God that leads to life? Because we, we will experience the judgment that comes upon that city. Whatever city we choose, we will receive the judgment that comes thus. With, with everything that God has blessed us with in our lives, in this church, in this community, it would be very easy for us to feel at home in this world and thus lose that, that pilgrim mindset that we are passing through this world and, and onto the heavenly city. But that would be a mistake. Look at verse 27. Just finishes up here. And, and Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord and he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley and he looked Behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham, just like God remembered Noah in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. And sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Now, there are some who read the account of the flood and the account of the, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and who think that, that God is some cosmic killjoy. But I think God has a sense of humor.
there are some who read this and think that, that God's just out to ruin our fun or these, that he's some kind of capricious deity who will destroy us the first chance he gets when we mess up. But this couldn't be further from the truth. Now this passage should cause us to note the kindness and the severity of God. Severity because a holy God must punish sin. And kindness because God has shown us where certain behaviors lead. Severity because Sodom and Gomorrah had set themselves up against God and against God's people. And God has had, had thus removed his sustaining grace from them. And, and they had thus brought condemnation and judgment upon themselves. They got what they deserved. But kindness, because Lot and the city of Zoar, which I might add, was going to be destroyed had it not been for Lot requesting to go there, they're spared. And so it's the kindness and the severity of God. In Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 to 2, the prophet Malachi says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And we see that the sun of righteousness has come in the person of Jesus Christ who bore the wrath of God on our behalf on the cross, the judgment for sin we deserved, so that by faith in Christ we don't get what we deserve, but rather we get greater than we deserve. Right? It's, it's, not, it's not just that we don't get hell, which is mercy, but we also get heaven, which is grace. And not just heaven, but we get heaven where Christ is. We get heaven where life is. And we will spend all eternity in blessedness, in the presence of God our Savior. And so the question we're left with is, have we put our faith in Jesus? Right? Is our hope in the rock of ages cleft for me? In the, in the severity of God, there awaits an eternal fire and sulfur for those who in their arrogance and in their love for this world reject Jesus Christ who said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. But in the kindness of God, Jesus is ready to grab your hand and to lead you out of the city of man, out of the city of destruction, where he will set your feet on solid ground. So our text invites us to go with him today and to not 
turn back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. This is a hard passage of scripture, but it's a necessary passage of, passage of scripture for what it teaches us about you, about your kindness and severity. Shape us, correct us, rebuke us, encourage us by your word. That we might live according to it. And if there's anyone here who is still dwelling in the city of man, take them out of the city that will eventually face destruction and lead them to the heavenly city where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in and steal where there is life and not just life, life abundantly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.